Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Live from Houston, Texas, home to the world's largest medical center. This is Your Health First, the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, it's another Sunday evening in the world of radio. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks very much for tuning in. The name of the program is Your Health First. And that is what we want you to do. Put your health first. Not just on Sunday for an hour, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Put your health first. Our website, drjoegalati.com. You could sign up for our newsletter. And I must say, the new newsletter will probably be pushed out after New Year's. Had a meeting yesterday. Big uh, big plans for our newsletter. It's going to be very exciting. But still, you can go to the website, drjoegalati.com, and sign up. Get on the newsletter list. That's what we want you to do. All right, so tonight, I would say this is one of those programs that you just do not want to miss. First up, calling in from New York City, Mount Sinai, Dr. Gene M. He is a hepatologist, similar to what I do. He and his colleagues wrote a phenomenal article recently about coronavirus and how it impacted on patients with alcohol use disorder, alcohol-related liver disease. And it is eye-opening. And I, and I, you know, for all of us that are in this world of liver disease and coronavirus, there are so many other downstream problems that have developed due to the quarantine, the fear, the anxiety, the lockdowns, and Dr. M and his team wrote really a great article, and uh, it's going to be very nice to have him on in a, in a, in a short while, so we're going to get him on right away. And then a pediatric hepatologist, it's, it's all liver tonight, uh, Sonny Harpavat from the world-famous Texas Children's Hospital. Baylor College of Medicine, we are going to talk about obesity in children, fatty liver. You've heard me talk about fatty liver in adults, which is bad enough. But now to start talking about our children, our grandchildren, horrifying. 
something you really want to listen to. All right. Uh, what I want to do right now, I want to. I'm going to keep this segment a little short so we have more time for Doctor M in uh, in a, in a moment. This this past week, in one afternoon of clinic, three patients essentially back to back, all with serious, complicated medical problems. I was serving as their fourth opinion. They had bounced around from local, regional facilities in the greater Texas area. And the same message that the patient, the spouse, the children told me is how they had the sense of being brushed off. They were not being taken seriously. And listening to their story, it, it was not good to hear. Now, what we always talk about, how to make you, the consumer, a better consumer of healthcare. It's no different than if you're going to look for a refrigerator. I've said this time and time and time again, but when I see an afternoon of this, it, it's worthwhile saying something again. You have to have a certain expectation when you go into the doctor. Now, they're not going to spend three, four, five hours with you, but for Pete's sake, they should sit down, listen to you, hear your story, digest what's going on, and try to render some sort of an impression and a plan. So we have to hold all of us to a higher standard, the physicians, the nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, everybody on our teams. And so if you are involved in a case like that, a complicated case for yourself or a loved one, and you're not getting the attention or communication that you need, while I am not in favor of ripping patients away from their physicians and their treatment teams, but you have to think, as a consumer, this may not be a good fit for me. That is well within your consumer rights. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Dr. Gene M. from Mount Sinai in my hometown of New York is on the line talking about COVID and alcohol. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m., raising your health IQ one listener at a time. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. You're tuned into Your Health First. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com is where you can find out about what we do. And uh, coming up, Sonny Harpavat, pediatric liver specialist at Texas Children's. We're going to be talking about fatty liver and obesity. But for the time being, I have another adult hepatologist, Dr. Gene M. from Mount Sinai in New York City. Gene, welcome to the program tonight. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleased to be on. Well, you and your colleagues had a very nice article published recently in the journal Hepatology, which is sort of our um, uh, the the. Journal of Liver Disease, by which all others are are judged by, and having to do with COVID-19 and alcohol use disorder. 
and alcohol-associated liver disease. Now, the first question is, how did, how did you and your colleagues come to decide that this was something we had to formally write up? So first, uh, I'll remind your, you and your listeners that New York City was the initial mm-hmm. U.S. epicenter of right. COVID. And so we kind of had an early glimpse, uh, unfortunately, of what it was like uh, to live uh, in, you know, uh, in a different world, essentially. Right. And so uh, first, uh, we were thinking about our patients at, while we were being sort of overwhelmed by trying to treat COVID and diverting hospital resources. Um, and we found that the environment, which, you know, lockdowns and social distancing and, you mm-hmm. know, fear and anxiety of getting COVID not going to the hospital, this was a perfect storm for our patients to have uh, increased risk of, you know, falling off the wagon right. and running into problems, both with relapse from alcohol and their other medical problems. And, you know, as things slowed down a little bit uh, in New York City, we found that to be the case where we were seeing a tremendous amount of particularly young patients with alcohol use disorder or alcohol-related liver disease Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, being admitted to the hospital. And so we felt compelled uh, to write this article uh, to, you know, uh, share our experiences so that others may anticipate this crisis. Well, you know, you're you're right in that... um New York City was at ground zero for for this pretty early on, and uh, there was so much devastation, devastation, so many admissions, so many sick people, and of course, so many deaths. Not only in New York, but around around the country, that we started to all see that uh, patients were staying away; they weren't coming for routine follow up, mammograms weren't being done. And this was almost a, a complete secondary problem to COVID. We were focused, and clearly we had to, but it was all this peripheral stuff was going on, and certainly alcohol and alcohol abuse and drug abuse as well was was creeping in and making more of a um, you know more of a, a, a pronounced impact. Can you can you comment on the characteristics of the patients that you did see that were coming in with, you know, as, as you were saying, you know, falling off the wagon and getting back into an addictive behavior? Yes, uh, we we did a comparison um, of patients who were admitted to the hospital at Mount Sinai in New York City mm-hmm. for liver disease, um, and we found that. There was, a, there was a trend to patients who were admitted after uh, you know, lockdowns and sort of d- during the declining part of COVID in New York to be younger, mm-hmm. to be more diverse uh, ethnically than we had seen in the past. And they were coming in sicker, Joe. Right. I mean, they were coming in in multi-organ failure. So they were, they were you know, super sick, either related to increased drinking um, or related to, like you said, uh, not coming into the hospital until it was the very last second for it to be life-threatening. So it was, it was quite 
dramatic. You know, similar to, you know, we are, we are focused on liver disease and, and the effects of alcohol and, and decompensated liver disease. But as you know, the, the cardiologists are probably seeing the same data and oncologists and psychiatrists. So each one of us in our own lane, sort of say, uh, are, are seeing the, the ramification of, of the uh, social distancing and, and the problems. Now, the one, the one sort of buzz phrase that came out of COVID was uh, this, this notion that if you had chronic medical conditions or a chronic medical condition, you were at more risk for having serious, potentially life-threatening complications. And what was listed in various interviews was diabetes, heart disease, cancer, immunosuppression. You're, you had a weak immune system. But as, as we know, liver disease is a chronic condition, and it was – I wouldn't say it was ignored. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But I think for everybody listening tonight, I'd like for you to impress upon them that chronic liver disease, whether it's alcohol-related or not, is a chronic condition that needs to be taken seriously. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, I'll start with the alcohol component. Uh, Alcohol predisposes patients to infections Mm -hmm. by depressing their immune system. Um, Even if you don't have alcohol-related liver disease, having scarring of the liver, uh, chronic liver uh, problems like cirrhosis, we now know uh, now that we have some, uh, you know, international data mm-hmm. put together, that patients with liver disease, regardless of the type, are at increased risk of death if they get COVID-19. So that data is pretty solid now at this point. So can't forget about our, our liver patients uh, in that group as well. Exactly. Now, the other, uh, as, as you alluded to, patients especially with liver disease, but all chronic liver diseases, they need some kind of somewhat regular follow-up, check-in surveillance. And uh, we found that it was very hard to get patients in for routine testing. They were saying they felt okay. They were more fearful of coming out for blood work or an ultrasound and 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 then catching the virus. I mean, it it. I understood the anxiety, but at times it just didn't sort of all add up. What did you guys see in New York, Joe? We saw the same thing. Um, you know, in, in New York, as you know, uh, getting around involves public transportation. Right. In New York City, oftentimes, you know, enclosed spaces with not great circulation in mm-hmm. buses, subways. You know, not everyone has a car, so. Uh, that you know added you know further anxiety just to go get from A to B um, in terms of uh, you know going to office visits. So that that uh, that we certainly saw the same thing here in New York. You know the one thing is you know you may have originally thought that it was the older patients that were a little bit more fearful to come out, but we had a lot of patients in their late twenties and up to forty that they were just as fearful as, as the older persons. I mean, would you comment on that? Yes. I mean, I think um, in the early days of COVID in particular, uh, where even personal protective equipment was at a shortage, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, and there was a lot of uh, sort of um, warehousing, uh, stockpiling of these kind of materials that uh, there was a tremendous amount of uh, fear and anxiety. And, uh, you know, I did see that in, in young patients as well. I would also say that young patients tended to be able to get around that a little bit by using their smartphones and doing telehealth, you know, these video visits with us. Absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, as time goes on, uh, there's just not quite uh, a substitute for in-person visits and testing. Sure. Now, in the, in the article, uh, one of the things you, you pointed out was that the social distancing and the stay-home orders really were a fertile environment that would encourage alcohol consumption. Where are we today, you think, compared to the uh, the dark days of the summer? Well, we know now that there are robust surveys that are out uh, that we are drinking more oh, yeah. in the U.S. Um, the latest survey that, uh, that has you know, reasonable data of, of over 1,000 Americans uh, that was published in uh, the journal uh, American Medical Association uh, showed that on average, uh, Americans are drinking about 17% more mm. than they were pre-COVID. Um, and so I think some of that is related to the uh, uh, policies to make liquor stores and alcohol stores essential businesses. Right. And so access was still there. Uh, and I also think that the trem- now, as it's become more prolonged, this pandemic, the economic anxieties, um, loss of jobs, loss of routine has really started to take its toll. So we know now quite solidly that we are drinking more. Yeah, really, it's, it's the perfect storm. Uh, economic stress, fear of a disease, uh, isolation. Uh, add that up, and you're you're going to drink and and do harmful things. So, in in the last minute or so here, Gene, where do we go? I think for everybody listening tonight, what advice do you give everybody tuning in with regard to trying to keep a lid on alcohol, trying to maintain um, communication with your healthcare team? What what can you say in thirty seconds? I would say that we need to focus. On uh, in the with the limitations that we have to try to be creative and get back to the activities within reason mm-hmm. of what makes us happy and gives us joy. And so, for some of us, and this this is rooted in classic alcohol uh, studies, is to keep yourself busy. Exactly. Make sure that you are stay connected with friends and family uh, using you know technology. You know, be kind to yourself, take care of your body um, by making sure you're eating, sleeping, and exercising well. And being mind- be mindful that, you know, we're all struggling and, you know, coping can be difficult during this time, uh, but that there are healthier ways to cope than to uh, drink alcohol or use other substances. All right. Very well said. Gene M. with Mount Sinai in New York City. Gene, thanks for coming on tonight. And, uh... We'll continue to watch and see what you and your team do. My pleasure. Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Gene. All right. Outstanding. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. You're tuned into Your Health First. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to change gears, talk about obese children and fatty liver. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
every Sunday evening. I sure hope you are tuned in to this radio program we call Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Our website, drjoegalati.com. Go there, sign up for our newsletter, which I've been talking about. All of our social media outlets are there. You could take a look at the book I wrote, Eating Yourself Sick. If you go to the website and sign up, you will get a free audio chapter. That'll be... Everybody wants something free these days. DrJoeGalati.com All right, so we had an adult liver doctor on as a guest, Dr. M. I am an adult liver doctor. And in the studio looking right across from me is Dr. Sonny Harpavat. He is a pediatric gastroenterologist and hepatologist, studies liver disease in children and young people. And it's a pleasure to have you in the studio tonight, Sonny. Thanks for coming in. Yes. Thanks, Dr. Gaudi. Really happy to be here. Well, amongst all the other titles you have and appointments at Baylor College of Medicine, you are the president, El Presidente, of the Texas Liver Foundation. So tell everybody, everybody's tuning in tonight, why that's important. Yes, well, welcome all the listeners, everyone listening tonight. As you think about work tomorrow and putting your bed, kids to bed, I'd like you to just think about one thing. Do you know anyone with liver disease? And the chances are it's either you or your parents or your brother or sister, your friend, or even your kids that have liver disease. And so I'm excited to introduce a new organization called the Texas Liver Foundation. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this organization is to inform patients and families with liver disease and to advocate for patients and families with liver disease. Now, this organization is made up of physicians, nurses, physician assistants, philanthropists, business leaders, and parents. And we are focused on helping people with liver disease. Now, we focus in Texas. But we have to all be clear, liver disease is not a Houston problem only, it's not a Texas problem only, it's not a U.S. problem only, it's a world problem. And so our organization is aimed, specifically in Texas, to help patients and inform them and advocate for them that have liver disease. Well, that's, that's very well said, and the, in a sense, the frustration that I have with the 30 or so years of practicing medicine, being right in the middle of all this liver disease is that there are still stigmas associated with liver disease. People don't want to necessarily come forward. And while we don't want people to stand up and put a sign on their back to say, I have liver disease, come talk to me. There is this stigma to the point that people don't want to talk about it. They are embarrassed. And when you have that environment, it, the conversation is buried. And it doesn't, it doesn't get out where it needs to be. No, that's exactly right. You know, I'm a pediatric liver doctor, and we have a different set of diseases in pediatrics, but there is one disease that really spans the divide between kids and adults, and it's a disease called NAFLD. Now, it's a funny name, and really our objective, our number one objective right now is to get information about this disease out there. Now, when we talk about stroke, Almost everyone in your audience would have heard about this 
or heart attacks, almost everyone in your audience would have heard about it. Right. But if we say NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, people might be confused. But here are the scary facts. One out of every four adults have NAFLD. And in our group, children, where we think this starts, so we are the ones that, that have a chance to solve the problem before it gets to adulthood, we know that around 10%, one out of every 10 children, have NAFLD. Now, to put it in perspective, we live in this great city, Houston, Harris County, around four plus million people. Mm -hmm. There's about 1.2 million children. So of those 1.2 million children, that's 120,000 children with this disease, NAFLD. That's the size of Pasadena, one of our big suburbs. It's one and a half times the size of our northern suburb, the Woodlands. It's twice the size of Sugarland. So imagine taking everyone in Sugarland and doubling it, and that's how many children just in our Harris County are affected by this condition, NAFLD. The challenge is that these children, these adolescents, may not feel sick. They're not staying at home with abdominal pain. They're running around. And so for the parents... It's easy to get faked out by this, in a sense, and just go along with with the tide. And it is only, I hate to say, as the baton is passed and children graduate from Texas Children's and they knock on my door when they're 18, 19, 20 years old or they're, they're finishing college, we look and we're able to get old records and see that You've had a fatty liver for five years when you were 15, 16 years old. And everybody will be in absolute uh, surprise to say, how could that be? Well, it, it is. So with all these numbers, and, and if everybody listening tonight decides to turn the radio off right now, remember the numbers that Dr. Harpavat just mentioned. How many thousands upon thousands of children? That's what you need to know. But how does it all start? Why does my kid have fatty liver? That's what we really need to get out there. That's right. That's right, Dr. Gaudi. So we really are feeding, as pediatricians, we are feeding the patient population that will go to adulthood with NAFLD. And this is now fast becoming the number one reason for liver transplantation in adults. Mm -hmm. So the disease starts in kids. In many ways, it's our job, but like you say, the disease doesn't manifest so early. It only manifests later. So how are kids getting this, and what does it mean if we could somehow, in a positive way, stop it early? Imagine what that could mean on the adult side in terms of needing liver transplant. So NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, is fundamentally a disease that's linked to obesity. Mm -hmm. Now, obesity is a real, real taboo word, and no one wants to hear that their child is obese. Obesity in pediatrics is really a mathematical number. We have a chart, we plot the weight, and if it's in the highest 95%, we give the word obesity. We're not here to stigmatize or to label children or make them feel bad. But we are here to tell them one thing, and I tell them when we 
suspect, Naffold, I say we've got some good news and we've got some bad news for you. The bad news is we don't have any medication right now that's proven to help your child. In fact, there's a good chance if this continues and continues on, then when they become in their 20s or 30s or 40s, they'll need to see a liver disease for much more um, serious interventions, maybe even liver transplant. That's the bad news. But the good news is that in my specialty clinic, where we see all sorts of liver diseases needing liver transplant, this is the one disease I could give a family and a patient where they themselves can solve the problem without extra medical intervention, they can solve the problem themselves. And that's what we need to get to. That's what we need to get to. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And again, the key thing that you mentioned is that when we document a child being obese, it's not a label. We don't want to stigmatize it. We, and you especially, want to take care of these children, embrace them, and get them well. We want to see them be successful. That really is the key thing. All right, Dr. Joe Galati, final segment coming up, Your Health First, every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. Stay tuned. I sure hope you're having a healthy snack while you're listening to us tonight. We'll be right back. Rocking along on this Sunday evening, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. As I tell everybody, we provide you with great information and we give you good music to feel good. I got to thank Andrew for picking the uh, music tonight. Good job. In the control room. All right. With me tonight, Dr. Sonny Harpovat, pediatric liver specialist, Texas Children's Baylor College of Medicine here in Houston. And we are talking about a hugely, hugely important topic. And if you are a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a coach, grandma, grandpa, you need to be tuning in. So, Sonny, we have this large number of children with fatty liver disease Obesity is the entry pathway into this. What is it that is creating this obesogenic environment for kids to gain weight? And there's, there's, I, I think we just have to rip off the Band-Aid that the children of today, boys and girls, are more obese today than 20 or 30 years ago. We didn't see fatty liver disease. Okay, years ago. So tell everybody, what are we doing as a family, as a society to create obesity? Yeah, that's right. That's a good, good question. And it's really at the root of the problem. Now, Dr. Galati, I think we all in this country, we disagree about a lot of things. There's a lot of opinions, but I think we'd all come around and agree to one thing, that we don't want our kids growing up with heart disease, mm-hmm. kidney disease, diabetes, needing liver transplants. That's not our goal, our dream of, of the future. Now, the question is how to stop that, that, that momentum and how to turn it around. What interventions do we do? And that really gets to the heart of what's causing the problem. 
Now, earlier I said I give good news to my families, and I tell them the good news is this is the one diagnosis I can give you that you can correct. And so they look at me, and they, they look excited, and they say, well, how can I correct it? And I tell them, well, this is what we have to do. We have to change the way we eat. And at first glance, that's an easy statement, change the way you eat. I've got it. I can do it. Um, and I'll come back in a month, and I'll show you how well I do it. But over many, many years of experience now from, from all of us collectively, we've realized that even though it doesn't sound invasive, a liver transplant's much more invasive. A surgery requires you to switch an entire organ out. Actually, going into someone's house and changing what they eat is probably one of the most culturally invasive things we can do or ask for from any family. Right. Um, I was just visiting my family this morning, this weekend, and I'm from an Indian-American family, and my grandmother was there and, of course, was feeding us this very sugary sweets called halva and gulab jamun, for those of you that might know about this. But the point is, what you're really doing is you're changing, you're asking the fabric of a family to change. Now, that's a difficult ask. No questions about it. But it's an essential ask, because if we don't do that, then again, down the road, lots of things are going to happen that none of us wished for any of our kids. You know, that that is such, so well put, first of all. And... What I, what I tell my adult patients is that would you rather change the way you eat or be on dialysis? Change the way you eat or get a liver transplant. Change the way you eat or have a stroke, heart attack, et cetera, et cetera. And the list goes on. And, 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 I, and I say that not to rough them up, but just to say, wait a second. We have a solution here, but you and I know that it's not that easy. And, and I am trying to unlock why it is so difficult. Yeah. And, and I don't know, is it, is it cultural? Is it a certain intellectual aspect that, that we're not touching on? What, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, so I think there's probably some cultural components, um, but it's probably universally cultural in different ways. Different cultures enjoy feeding their children in different ways. But, you know, whenever we attack this problem and when we try to see success, if we go into a family and we tell them, well, we're going to change this, 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 and this, it's almost like New Year's resolutions. They might last the first day of (laughs) January, the second day of January. By the fifth day of January, you're back to your old ways. So we have to keep it simple. And there's actually some pretty easy ways to do this. And so I want to make sure that we, even though we're presenting a disease that's quite dangerous in in pretty much everywhere, this is something that there's a lot of optimism to. We We can solve this. And the first thing we always tell our families is we tell the children, we ask them, what sugary drinks are you drinking? Mm. So it's interesting because we say, we're not going to change what you eat. And they're confused. Because they said, well, isn't that why I'm here? And we say, no, we're going to change. We're going to try to change first what you drink. And this is a real eye-opener. And again, across all cultures, this is a real eye-opener. Because people generally don't think about the drinks as causing any problems with their weight or their metabolism or their liver. They think about the food. And so we do this exercise together. And with telemedicine, it's actually even more fun because... They're in their house, and we can ask them. We ask them to open <laughs> run, up the, run to the refrigerator. Open up the yeah. refrigerator, exactly. 
and we ask them, pretend like I'm with you and I just played a game of soccer and we come inside and we go into your house and I make them envision their house and the child, I say, open the refrigerator and what do we see to drink? And they think about it for a second and they say, well, no big deal. And they say, orange juice, proudly. They'll say apple juice. They'll say some Gatorade. And then, you know, you push them a little more and they'll say Coca-Cola, some sodas. And then, of course, they'll say water. And if you make them really, you know, they've really inventoried their entire fridge when they eventually say milk. And then we, I ask them to really just evaluate each one of those. And I think the real eye-opener in children in this country and probably many other countries is the sugary drink consumption, mm-hmm. not only of sodas, but this is, where the, the, this is where the education, the information happens and the change happens. Juices which are essentially liquid calories that get into children much faster than eating a normal fruit. Mm -hmm. For example, four oranges, one glass of orange juice. No parent would give their child four oranges all at once, but every morning we give our children a glass of orange juice. Um, Gatorade, I tell them, for LeBron James, this is a person who burns 10,000 calories a game. Of course he's going to drink Gatorade. A lot of parents, by advertising and other influences, think that by drinking Gatorade, they will lose calories because the athletes drink Gatorade and they're all in Super great thin. shape. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's these small things, I think, that we start with. And we give a very, very focused goal, which is really the first step for children and for all parents out there that are confused about how to tackle this big problem. The first step, I would say, is look at the drinks you're drinking and realize that the milk and the water are great. But the other drinks, this is a massive sugar load to the liver. And that sugar load is what seeds the foundation for fatty liver disease. And I I believe that if we systematically break it down to say step number one with children or adults getting rid of the sugary drinks, and we are bombarded with advertising, you walk into a store and there are, you know, 60 feet worth of refrigerator space, you don't know what to pick. And you're like, wow, it's, it's, it's a cool bottle, the colors, and, you know, you want to buy that, that cool drink. But, but we're going to have to dismantle how they're eating, uh, potentially being respectful of the family culture and, and habits, but it's something that has to happen. So in the, the time is up. Unbelievable, Sonny. But we'll have you back. The final 30 seconds, quickly, what would you say is the take-home for everybody, especially the parents listening tonight? So the take-home message is a positive one, and that is we've got this. This is a disease that we think is out of control, but Mm -hmm. we've got this together with your physicians, your nurses, your physician assistants, with your family. Your children are serving as gateways to provide great health for not only the children, but for everyone in the entire family. Like you said, Dr. Galati, step by step by step, and I think we can take care of this disease. Absolutely. We have, we have to stay positive, and it's arming, arming the citizens, the parents and adults with what we need to know. But also, just to circle back, the Texas Literary Foundation, we want to raise the awareness of liver disease. So everybody says, oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking out for my liver tonight. So 
There we go. Sonny, thank you very much for coming in. For everybody tuning in next Sunday, I have a feeling we're going to have Dr. Harpovet back. There's just too much to cover. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. We will see you next Sunday and get rid of the sugary drinks. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.